Well, good morning, Bethel. I am so thrilled to get to join with all of our church family this morning, opening up God's Word here together. Actually, at this very moment right now, I happen to be somewhere around the border of southern Michigan, northern Ohio. I'm heading down to um, a week of school in Kentucky and very grateful for the opportunity that our church family and our elders have allowed for me to have that time and would certainly appreciate your prayers. And, and today in Bethel Southwest, hello out in the Ag Hall there in Strathroy at the auditorium. Good morning. And then those joining us uh, online and with Rogers TV, we are all uniting together around God's word to look into today's psalm. Today we are in Psalm 72 and our psalm begins with a very short, simple title. It says, Of Solomon. Of Solomon. Now, Solomon was the third king of Israel. And uh, when it says of Solomon there, it, it means one of maybe two or maybe both of these things. It, it may mean that Solomon actually was the one who was led by the Holy Spirit to write this psalm. But it may also, and certainly does mean included in this, that this was a psalm about Solomon. This was a psalm for Solomon. This was this is a psalm, a, a prayer given to the people of God to pray for their king, to pray for Solomon. And what we're going to see here is that it really lays out actually two things for us. First of all, it, it reminds us what we are to be looking for in a king and praying for in a king. And then secondly, it points us to what will happen when we have that kind of king. That's what our psalm is all about today, these two things. Now, surely though, right off the bat, your mind is going to the same spot my mind is going to, and you're like, but I'm not really an ancient Israelite from a couple thousand years ago with a king named Solomon. So what's the relevance to us here today? Now, before you go too far down that train of thinking, though, I want to, I want to tell you that, that, yes, of course, we are not finding ourselves. I mean, we're joining in a whole bunch of different locations all together at once through the marvels of modern technology to open up God's word. So we're surely not a couple thousand years ago ancient Israelites, but God's word has some profound truth for us today. And so as we come to it, would you bow with me right there where you are sitting? Let's bow our heads and our hearts and prepare ourselves to hear from what the Lord has for us in this psalm. Oh, gracious God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for our church family, for Bethel Southwest and Bethel Strathroy and those who are joining us from their homes and the privilege it is we have to unite and hear from your word. We ask that you would speak to us. Your word is living and active. Speak to us, O Lord, we your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want to invite you to grab your Bibles out. If you haven't already yet, grab your Bibles out and turn with me to Psalm 72. And as you're turning there, it's important for us to get a little bit of the backstory about how we ended up with Solomon as king. See, Moses, remember maybe that big name from the Old Testament, was the guy who led God's people 
out of slavery in Egypt. Then Joshua was his predecessor who led the people into the promised land. And after Moses and Joshua, there took over this group of leaders called the judges. Now the judges were basically a giant hot mess of wickedness and corruption. They, they were really leaders were a disaster over God's people. And so God brought in this guy named Samuel, who was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but was quite a bit better than the judges and, and started to, to speak to the people on behalf of God and minister and lead. But the people wanted nothing to do with that. In fact, they were so jealous of the peoples, the nations all around them, that they demanded of God through Samuel, we want a king. We want a king. In fact, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 8 where they came and said to Samuel, we want a king over us. Then we shall be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go up before us and fight our battles. Now the people seemingly did not care about the fact that they had a heavenly king who did some crazy, amazing, incredible things for them. I mean, we're talking about the king of the universe who, for example, like opened up the sea for them to walk across on dry ground, who gave them daily bread from heaven so that they could eat as they wandered around the wilderness for a couple decades, who made water come out of rocks, who stopped the sun in the sky for an entire day, who sent laser-guided giant balls of hail to take out their own enemies, who literally conquered every single one of their foes, even the biggest and strongest kings. But now they look around and see all these people and are like, we actually don't really want a God and a king who we can't see and have to walk by faith to follow. We want a king who will be right here with us. And so that's where the first king of Israel came on the scene. His name was Saul. Saul came on the scene and the people, they, they loved and adored him because as we see in the scriptures, he was young, he was handsome, he was super tall, and the people were like, perfect. Everything we can see and think is amazing is exactly what we are going to go with, except Saul was a colossal failure. God took Saul out and brought in David. Now, David was a lot better king than Saul. He walked by faith in a lot of different ways. We actually see in the scriptures he's described as a man after God's own heart. But as much as David did amazing things like walking by faith and slaying the Goliath, giant Goliath, and did all these things, he too messed up big time. I mean, the guy had an affair on his wife with one of his soldiers' wives, got her pregnant, tried to cover it up, ended up killing one of his soldiers and illegitimately marrying this woman. David was a giant hot mess. And so God brought in his son, Solomon. Solomon, the third king, whom this, this psalm is a prayer for. It's a prayer for that King. Now, this backstory is not just interesting information. See, it's so key in us understanding this psalm here. Because when we see the backstory, what we discover is actually that we find ourselves in this psalm. 
See, just like the ancient Israelites, who we can say, well, they were thousands of years ago and lived in a distant, far-off land and spoke a different language, and they were so different from us, just as they had God do marvelous and mighty works right in front of them, and were called to walk by faith, but were unwilling to and demanded to see what they could touch and control and feel and followed directly. They abandoned the king to make their own king. So too do we. I, I mean, how many of us could sit here and testify to so many things that we have seen God do? Powerful moves of the Lord in our lives, in our family, in our church family. We could tell story after story after story of look at all that God has done. Look at all the tales that we've done. And yet... When the health starts failing, where do we turn? When trouble at work starts going down, who do we look to to try and solve it? When we're struggling with our children, we try to take back control or figure out a solution or find a way to fix it. When money gets tight, all of a sudden, whose weight, whose shoulders is the weight going upon? When addiction sinks in and we're trying to get out from under this, who do we turn to to fight the battle? See, just like those ancient Israelites, we may not call it a king, but we're just putting lipstick on a pig and giving it a different name. We chase after what we can see, what we can touch, what we can feel, and what we can control. We forget the God who is the king of the universe, who's shown himself in so many different ways, and we look to what we can touch and see and control to lead our lives instead. And this song, Praying for the King, in Psalm 72, is a word that we all, ancient Israelite many years ago, and dear brothers and sisters here today, in Glencoe and Strathroy and across the region need to hear. This psalm asks a question. It leads us to a question. It actually leads us to an answer to this question. The first thing we need to see and wrestle with and ask coming out of this psalm is this. What are we to pray for and look for in a king? This is a prayer for the king. What are we to look for? What are we to pray for? If you were to grab a piece of paper out right now and just jot down, or maybe you pull out your phone and you pull up a notes, and, and you were to jot down like the top three qualities you would be looking for, for a leader over our community. You could think of a mayor, or an MPP, or an MP, or prime minister, or whatever it might be. The top three qualities are over your business, or whatever. What would you jot down? Would you, would you jot down things like, you know, a strong leader, Maybe good-looking or a good communicator. They're smart. They have a vision for the future. They bring team together and are a good collaborator. They have experience and track record. They've got charisma. What kind of things would you put down for a leader that you want to follow? Well, it's interesting because God here tells us there's two things that we are to be praying for and looking for in the king. Here's the first one. We are to pray for and look for a king that upholds righteousness. If you look at verse 1, Endow the king with your justice, O God, 
The royal son with your righteousness. He will judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. We are led to pray that God would give the king his justice, that he would be a leader who leads with God's righteousness, with his perfect, upstanding, pure moral standard. We are to pray that the leader would execute justice over all that he leads, that he would call out those who are under his charge to follow in the righteous standard of God. Verse 4, he will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. He will crush the oppressor. So, so gather together people of God and pray for a king who's going to stand up for the voiceless, who's going to stand up and protect those who are oppressed, who's going to stand in the gap, not just for the needy, but the children of the needy, the voiceless of the voiceless. Pray for a king who's going to stand in the gap. I'm curious, how many of us on your list that you made up in your own head or you jotted down, how many of us had upholding righteousness as one of the top two qualities that we are to pray for and look for? The second thing that this prayer shows us that we are to be praying for and looking for in a king is that the king is to be the one who redeems the broken we are praying for and looking for a king who will redeem the broken. If we look back at verse 4 there again, he will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children. He will crush the oppressor. The kind of king you and I are to pray for is one who is not fixated on his own standard status and the people who can do things for him, but he's to focus on the broken, the oppressed, and defend them who have no voice. Verse 12, For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Pray for, be on the lookout for the king who is going to deliver those who are crying out for help. That's what verse 12 said. To rescue those who have no one helping them. To be the one who is not just rushing around, getting stuff done with powerful people who make him feel better in posh places, but the one who has pity on the weak and the needy, verse 13, who rescues those facing oppression and violence, says verse 14. The end of verse 14, whose lives are precious in his sight. That's the kind of king that you and I are to be looking for. That's the kind of king you and I are to be praying for. This is what we are calling out to God to do in the ruler who is over us. Let me ask you, how often are those two qualities at the forefront of your mind when you think about who is the ruler over your life? How often are those two qualities of upholding righteousness and one who redeems the forgotten, the broken, the least of these, how often are those coming 
to the forefront. Think of those who influence, I don't know, like the clothes that you wear, whether it's a, a model, a singer, somebody on TV, a magazine. Are, are you looking to look like one who upholds righteousness and redeems the broken? Is that who you're trying to like dress yourself like and show an association to? Think about the voices that you listen to. Do you listen to podcasts when you're driving your car? Who are the singers that are on your playlist? Who are the news anchors that you turn to? Who are the authors that you read? Who are the preachers that you listen to? Do these two criteria, upholding righteousness and looking out for the broken, are they the forefront qualities of the people that you are turning to to fill your mind with their voice? These are what the Lord is guiding us to look for and to pray for, for the king. So we're first asking from this psalm, what kind of king are we looking for and praying for? Then this psalm asks and answers the question, leads us to the answer, what will happen when we have this kind of king? What will happen when we have a king like this ruling over us? Well, there's, first of all, shalom will abound. That's the first thing we see. Verse 3, the mountains will bring prosperity to the people. The hills, the fruit of righteousness. Issuing from the depths of the mountains. Think a volcano bursting forth and the lava that is coming out is going to be prosperity. That word that we have translated here, I'm preaching from the NIV, in English that we have translated as prosperity, the Hebrew word is shalom. Shalom. It's an incredibly common word. It comes up actually 236 times in the Old Testament. And the most common way that it's translated into English is actually the word peace. 155 of the 236 times that the word shalom comes up in the, New in the Old Testament, it's translated into English to peace. And, and I think it carries with this a sense of just like wellness and calm. But, but my guess is the NIV translators here use this word prosperity because it's not just about what we might first think of as the word peace. See, the word shalom also carries with it this sense of a fullness of life. It, it means wellness and safety, success. All is well. Wholeness. It, it's all of that wrapped up together in this word that we have here. See, when this kind of king one who upholds righteousness and redeems the broken and forgotten is in place, what's going to happen is from the very as if depths of the earth bursting out is going to be shalom, is going to be wholeness, is going to be fullness of life. All is going to be well, is going to be peace and prosperity. Verse 7, in his days, the righteous will flourish. 
prosperity, there's that word shalom again, will abound till the moon is no more. The shalom of God, the fullness of life and peace and wholeness will abound and flourish till the moon is done away with, which is to say, like, it's just going to go on and on and on and on and on. If I were writing the scriptures, which of course I'm not, but here's the analogy I would use. It's going to be like a all-you-can-eat buffet of shalom. And you can just keep going back over and over and over with your plate. And you can add more and more and more and more on. And you can eat and you will never get sick in your stomach from eating too much. You just go up over and over and on and on. That's what's going to happen when this king comes. Second, we also see that when this kind of king is in place, everyone will worship him. The whole earth, people from all lands, from all different backgrounds, from the, the highways and the byways, near and far, will gather to honor and adore this king. Look with me in verse 8. He will rule from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. The desert tribes will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Seba will present him gifts. All kings will bow down to him and all nations will serve him. The psalmist here is teaching us what will happen, what we are to be calling out for when this perfect king comes. Pray and call out to God that, that from sea to sea, this king may rule. Now, here's a little piece of trivia. I don't know if you recognize that little phrase from sea to sea. I want to show you a picture that's going to come up here on the screen. This is actually a picture of the Canadian coat of arms. Back in 1921 was the very first time our nation, officially, it was several decades into existence, but it was the first time we got an official, as a country, coat of arms. And there in the coat of arms, there's a little ribbon that's got a Latin phrase in it. Now, my guess is most of us probably don't read Latin, but the English translation of that is a quote from Psalm 72. The, the motto of our nation going back to 1921 was from sea to sea. A quote right out of this psalm. Because at some level, at least some of the leaders of our nation about 100 years ago were praying, oh God, would you bring this kind of king, a Psalm 72-like king over our whole land to rule from sea to sea. Now, ironically, in 2006, a few premiers came in and tried to advocate for this to be changed and make it from sea to sea to sea because they thought, well, we don't just have two seas. We've got the Arctic as well. And they were kind of missing the point. Just like so many in our land are today and don't know the backstory from where we've come. But the heart of our country, for many leaders in it, was to establish a country that would have a king like Psalm 72. This psalm is showing us that when that kind of king is in place, the nations are going to come and worship him. 
It, it prays there in verse 9, May the tribes of the desert come and bow down before him. May the foreign kings of Tarshish, which was a prominent port city in the Mediterranean, Sheba and Seba, which is most likely Arabia and Ethiopia, may, may they come and present him gifts. May all the kings bow down to him and all the nations, verse 11, will serve him. Long may he live. May the gold of Sheba be given to him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. Verse 15. We are led to pray, O oh God, would you bring about a king who upholds righteousness and redeems the broken that all the nations will come and worship. We must never stop praying for you, God, to bring that king into place. That's what we're seeing out of Psalm 72 here. Because finally, when that king comes, brings about shalom, all the nations will come and worship him. All the nations will also be blessed. Verse 5, it says, shows us this. When that king is in place, he will endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations, he will be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth, just as the rains come down on the earth and indiscriminately water and nourish everywhere they land. So all the nations will be blessed. This verse 16 says, Let the corn abound throughout the land. On the tops of hills may it sway. Let its fruit flourish like Lebanon. Let it thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever and ever. May it continue as long as the sun. The whole land, all the world, all the earth will abound. Corn will abound and it will cover the hills so much that it will be as if they're, they're waving and swaying because the crops are so full that the wind just all the whole hill looks like it moves because it's covered in crops. May, may the fruit everywhere flourish so that no one will go hungry. And as verse 17 finishes off, all nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. God beckons his people of old to pray and you and I to pray for a king like this. He calls us to pray for a king like this. And as we saw, that opening caption said, of Solomon. The original context was pray that Solomon would be this kind of king because we've had wicked judges and then we had messed up Saul and then we had David who screwed up and now we have Solomon pray that he would be the kind of king that we need. And Solomon in, in some ways saw many of these things fulfilled. He, he attained incredible success. He had many nations come to him looking for wisdom. He, he got incredible amounts of wealth. But Solomon, just like Saul and just like David, he messed it all up because he too was a broken, sinful man. And guess what? The king after Solomon did the same. And so did the next king and the one after that and the one after that. And for hundreds of years, the people of God were given by the Holy Spirit this psalm to keep praying, to keep praying, to keep calling out to God. Oh God, give us this kind of king. Oh God, what would it be like to have this kind of king? Can you imagine 
And there was this, this craving, this longing, this yearning that was to be growing up within them as they kept coming back over and over and over to Psalm 72. Now, I'm recording this, as I told you, in, in advance. I'm actually recording this a, a few days earlier than when we're getting to gather together right now. And when, when I'm recording this in just a couple days from now is this incredible day of the year around Strathroy. It's Rib Fest coming up this weekend, baby. Now, I love ribs. I, I love ribs. And I, every day, outside of the church, just right over here, there is a billboard that says Rib Fest, Strathroy Rib Fest, July 7th, 8th, and 9th. And every time I drive by that sign just outside the church here, my mouth starts to salivate. My desires start to grow up. My longing in my stomach. I just, I cannot wait to get that fall off the bones, ribs slathered in sauce. And just, and I apologize because if you didn't get to it and you're watching this now, well, it's too late. So sorry about that. But I love ribs. And whenever I see that billboard, about Ribfest coming to town, it builds this sense of craving in me. It builds a sense of anticipation, this longing, this yearning. Oh, I want it so bad. And that's what Psalm 72 is to be like for our hearts. It's to be this psalm that we read to learn about what the king is supposed to be like and to see what life will be like under that king, and to leave us in this spot that's like, ah, I want that so bad. Oh, how amazing it would be to get that kind of king. Oh, how sweet and precious it would be. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, the people of God were led to this very song, Psalm 72, by God, to pray it through the scriptures, to develop that sense of craving and longing. And what I want to tell us here today, what I want to finish off by doing is to hold up beside what we have seen in this psalm, the picture of the king we know who has come. His name is Jesus. I want to look back through this psalm and, and hold it up against this beautiful fulfillment that we find in our true King. Jesus is the one who, first of all, upholds perfect righteousness. Is he not? He knew the righteous and perfect law of God completely. In fact, we think about, pops to my mind, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, where over and over and over again, Jesus stands up and preaches. You have heard it said and quotes some of the Old Testament, but then picks apart their understanding or interpretation or applied extra rules onto it. You have heard it said, but I say to you, you have heard it said, but I say to you, to the point where at the end of that sermon, listen to what the people said when Jesus finished saying these things. The crowds were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. See, he taught with perfect righteousness. He, he spoke 
with an understanding and laying out the standard of righteousness. Not only did he speak it, he lived it. He didn't just talk the talk, he walked the walk. Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. See, he lived a perfect, righteous life. Tempted and tried in every way, just like us, like David, like Saul, like Solomon, and every other king. But he lived the righteous life. And then we see in Matthew 25, the Son of Man, when he comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. See, Jesus knew perfect righteousness. Jesus lived perfect righteousness and Jesus is going to lay down perfect righteousness when he comes back. He is going to judge the living and the dead, every man, woman, and child from every tongue and tribe and nation and place he they are all we are all going to stand before him and he is going to lay down execute perfect righteous judgment jesus upholds this he is the perfect king of righteousness and he is also the perfect king who redeems the broken all throughout his life and ministry jesus noticed the unnoticed jesus called tax collectors and prostitutes. He gathered together sinners. He touched the forsaken leper. He healed the outcast demon-possessed man. He touched and sat down with the forgotten children. He spoke and brought salvation to the Samaritan mistress. The greatest criticism of all the religious leaders in their day that they could bring against Jesus was this. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked him, why does he eat? with tax collectors and sinners. Why is he spending all of this time with the broken, forgotten, least of these? What is he doing? And that critique right there brings us full circle right back to the very beginning. Because those leaders in Jesus' day who claimed to know the scriptures so well and to understand God missed what God was doing right in front of them. They missed, although from surely almost as soon as they could talk, they began memorizing Psalm 72, but they didn't realize when the fulfillment of Psalm 72 was right in front of them. The very thing that Psalm 72 says the king that God is going to send is supposed to do was the very thing they criticized him for. The people, way back with Samuel, had all these crazy things that God had done for them right in front of them. They were aware of them. They'd heard them. They celebrated the Passover meal and they passed along the story. And yet, they too missed the call that was right in front of them. That they didn't need an earthly king who would just mess up and fail because of sin, they had a heavenly king who was ruling over them. And just like the ancient people of Israel, and just like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, so too can we miss the king who is right in front of us. We too struggle 
with questions like who am I and my own identity and where do we turn? We turn to those whom we can see, those whom we can touch, those whom we feel like we can control to give us an understanding of ourselves. We submit ourselves to a king here on earth. We find ourselves in the pit of addiction. And what do we do? We try to pull up our bootstraps or look to someone else here on earth to fix us because we need a king who we can see. We see loved ones suffering and we try to ourselves chase down every possible solution we possibly can so that we can fix it because we want to be the king to make the problems in our loved one's life better. We long for joy and delight and happiness. And so we go and spend our money to get tickets to go and watch who? Or to get experiences to go and do what? Or to get toys that we think will scratch our itch because we're just putting lipstick on the pig, chasing after an earthly king that we want to give our lives to. But before us here, we have a call, a reminder, a prayer from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago that was given by God to point the people of God to the King. His name is Jesus. And it reminds me of when Jesus sat down with his disciples and he asked them a question. All the people around you have all kinds of opinions about me, but let me ask you this question. Who do you say that I am? To which Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my Father who is in heaven. See, what we need is what Peter experienced right there. We need spiritual eyes to see Jesus. We need a revelation, a divine and supernatural light to open our eyes and open our hearts to behold the beauty of the King. To see all the kings that we chase here on earth for what they really are and to see the majesty of the King of Kings, the King of Psalm 72, for who he really is. Oh God, would you give us eyes to see King Jesus? Oh God, would you give us faith to follow King Jesus? Oh God, might we fall on our faces before him and worship our King.